0: Turn back to Ephesians 6 tonight, please. Ephesians 6. And uh, we're going to continue looking at this uh, spiritual armor passage. Uh, if you're joining us, I see one or two who may be here. First time I've seen you, lately on Wednesday, so we want to let you know where we've been. A little different than normal. I like to generally go through a passage of scripture in an expository fashion, and uh, we've been taking a little different approach in this study, looking at each individual piece of the armor that God gives us, and bringing in other scriptures that would relate to that, so a little different approach, and uh, we'll continue that tonight, looking in particular at verse 17, but let's go back and begin in verse 10 again. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming errors of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. As I should, We've obviously been looking at the fact that the Christian life is a struggle. It's a continual struggle. After all, Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. The reason we struggle, number one, we, we live in a fallen world. Number two, we have an enemy. And we need to understand our enemy. And we need to also understand that God doesn't leave us ill-clad. He gives us armor for spiritual warfare. And so not only have we been looking at our enemy, but also our equipment. We've looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the preparation of the, the gospel. We've looked at the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. Well, tonight we're going to look at the last piece that he gives before he talks about the energy behind it all. And that's prayer that we'll look at next time, keeping in communication with our commander, with our sovereign Lord. But tonight we're going to look at the helmet of salvation. One of the pieces of armor a Roman soldier would certainly never go into battle uh, without would be his helmet. Now, as we think about the helmet of salvation, several things come to mind. Spiritually speaking, we know that the Bible tells us that our minds are a battlefield. Satan attacks our minds. He tries to mess up our thinking and get us thinking like the world. No wonder the Apostle Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. Girding up was an image how they would wear the long flowing robes and if they were going to take action of any sort, they would have to gather up that robe, gird it up, gird up the loins is what it was referred to, tuck it into their belt so their legs would be free for action, for hard work or athletics or whatever it may be. Uh, So Peter is using that analogy of girding up the loins to say we've got to be that way in our thoughts, our, our minds. In other words, there's got to be mental preparedness in the Christian life. The Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, Satan tries to mess up our thinking in regards to a lot of things, certainly our salvation, he mentions here the helmet of salvation. Many areas he tries to mess up our thinking in, but certainly our salvation. He might try to get you questioning your assurance. Or when you're going through some trial in your life, he might try to get you thinking if, if you were really a believer, if you were really a child of God, God wouldn't let you be going through what you're going through. So again, he tries to mess up our thinking. He tries to mess up our thinking by getting folks to question the reliability of God's Word. He'll try to mess us up doctrinally speaking. On and on the list goes. And so we know that the mind is a battlefield. No wonder that Paul says in Romans 12 two, that we need to be renewed in our minds. We're to to make that uh, sacrifice, that living sacrifice of ourselves. And he also says there, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your minds. So let's break down some of this tonight. And because again, he mentions here the helmet of salvation, let's begin talking about Salvation. Satan tries to get people to doubt God. Uh, he tries to discourage people. Satan will try to confuse you as to your salvation and get you to doubt your salvation. If you're taking notes, that'd be our first point. And so it's for reasons like that that we need to take up the helmet of salvation. Now, why might people doubt or question or lack assurance? Why would that happen? Well, some people doubt because they've never been saved. Now, thank God for doubt in that case. That's not the devil, that's the Holy Spirit trying to bring conviction. Uh, But some doubt because they know in their heart of hearts they have never been born again, regenerated, born of the Spirit, born from above. They may be religious, they may be a church member, they may have been baptized. But they know they've never been converted. You know, Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 7. He said, So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. So again, thank God for doubt in that scenario. Because uh, obviously that's the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. But again, certain people wrestle with lack of assurance uh, because, of, because of this. That's one reason. That's the only legitimate reason perhaps. There's a number of illegitimate reasons that true believers might lack assurance. Let's think about some of those. Some people lack assurance because they rely on feelings. Now, the fact of the matter is, the Bible itself tells us in plain black and white that our hearts may condemn us from time to time. Emotions in and of themselves cannot be trusted. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can trust it? Satan would love to have us base our security upon things that were never designed to give security. Some people might think, feelings first. I have to feel saved all the time. Fact second, faith last. But God says it differently, doesn't it? Fact first, Jesus died for you. Then comes faith and repentance. And then feelings last. Some days I may feel closer to him and more assured than other days. Feelings are a wonderful caboose, but feelings make a pitiful locomotive. So if we mess up that order, you'll lack assurance, likely. Human feelings, human emotions can never be trusted as the basis of one's assurance of their standing before God. And thank God that we have more than than emotions to, to bank on in our Christian experience. We have the Word of God and the promises of God. Now, along with this whole subject matter of feelings, some people also doubt because they might compare their experience of salvation with somebody else's, and somehow or another get the feeling that theirs doesn't measure up. But when you look at the Word of God, we don't find that distinction. I mean, on the one hand, we we see the case of the Apostle Paul, when he was still Rabbi Saul, and he was on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians and, and... God, God chased him. He was chasing after Christians. God chased him and God converted him. And it was, it was radical for him. It was dramatic, wasn't it? I mean, it was earth shaking. And then later on, the apostle Paul, when he and Silas go to Philippi, you remember what happened there? Philippi wasn't a big enough city to have a Jewish temple. They didn't have enough Jews. Paul would go to the Jewish temple first and preach Christ. But they didn't have a temple, so where did he go? Down by the riverbank. And he found a group meeting there for prayer. And he preached the gospel to them. And what uh, what does the Bible say about Lydia? That the Lord opened her heart to believe. You get the impression, boy, something's going on out there, isn't it? Just constant. Anyway, the Lord opened her heart to believe. You you get the idea that Lydia's conversion was was very quiet. Now, who was more saved? Paul, Dramatic, or Lydia? Who is more saved? Same. Very same. You see, the dramatics are different for different people. But some people will doubt because they'll hear somebody's testimony and they think, man, my experience is not that dramatic. Maybe it didn't happen to me after all. Another way that Satan can play with our feelings is when we get older. We may not be able to recall everything in detail about when we were saved. Because see, there's a, there's a danger in our salvation if we're only thinking back to some day in the past instead of looking at current evidence. But people might look back on a day and say, I don't, I don't remember all the details. And so they might lack assurance. Folks, we don't physically see salvation. Conversion is a heavenly transaction. Our challenge is what? Walk by faith. Some people may also lack assurance at times that they're physically or emotionally or spiritually drained. I think of a, a couple of occasions in, in the scripture when John the Baptist was in jail. Do you remember the question he sent to Jesus? What was that question? Are you really the one that we're supposed to be looking for? There are questions in John's mind. And then Elijah, remember Elijah? He got very low. He began doubting. And God had him rest for a while and even fed him by the ravens. Some people doubt because of sin. Remember what David said in Psalm 51 Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He had lost his joy, his confidence. Some people doubt because of satanic attack in this area. He knows that doubt robs us of confidence that we need. It's the most debilitating thing in the world to lack assurance. And somebody lacking assurance, they'll they'll sometimes tell me afterwards that during that period they weren't witnessing, they weren't serving the Lord like they knew they should, they weren't even praying. Well, secondly tonight, I want you to see the helmet of salvation is critical in regards to our salvation, or in in regards to the assurance of our salvation. We are to be clear on the basis of our salvation. What do we need to fall back on? First of all, there's the testimony of Scripture. And I'm going to say that one a number of times tonight. The testimony of Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the age to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness Toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God. What's he talking about there? What's the gift of God? Everything, everything he's talking about here related to salvation, even even faith to believe. It's, it's all a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Folks, salvation is of the Lord. The Lord brings about regeneration. Regeneration. Allowing us to live in repentance and faith, coming to Christ and living the Christian life. The Lord regenerates from above. Do we believe the testimony of Scripture? If we don't, if we don't, then why is that? If we don't believe the testimony of Scripture about Christ, what? Then a person's not saved. But even as Christians, we need to fall back on the testimony of Scripture. Somebody said, I think it was, I believe it was John Piper that said, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to be reminded. 1 John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And the verses preceding that, in verses 11 and 12, he says, and the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. The definite article is there. Has the life. He's talking about eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Folks, we fall back on the testimony of Scripture because we serve a God who cannot lie. As Paul said to Titus in Titus 1-2, we serve a God who cannot lie. God is holy and just. God is faithful. He's faithful to his word and faithful to his promises. Satan tries to confuse people and convince them, some people fall into the trap that is, that eventually everyone will be saved. He has some people believing that. Again, I'm not talking about believers here. In a pluralistic, postmodern age like ours, he tries to get people believing that you've probably heard the analogy before. God sits atop the mountain and there's many paths leading up to him. Just pick your path and be sincere to it, whatever that's supposed to mean. Many paths up to God. Just pick one. And a lot of people buy into that line. But what Jesus said? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You say, that sounds exclusive. It is. But it's not my words or your words. It's the words of Scripture. It's the word of God. You know, if any path were okay, the cross of Christ would have been nothing more than a colossal mistake, right? If Jesus didn't really need to die. Satan tries to convince many people that good works will save them. Just live by the golden rule. Try to be good and do good. If you've got more checks in the good column than the bad column, when you stand before God, you might get into heaven. That's sort of an Islamic view. Uh, And it's always, I, I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've got more good deeds than bad deeds. The Bible never says that. The Scripture proclaims that we are dead. Outside of Christ, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And in Romans 3, Paul says, by the works of the law, no one will be justified in his sight. And in Romans three twenty three, Paul, Paul says, uh, uh, Romans 6, I'm sorry, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 3.25 Christ is the propitiation for our sins. A big word. Meaning he's, he's the one who took all of the wrath of God. The holy and just wrath of God against sin. And he died in my place and in your place. We're to be very clear on the gospel salvation is holy of the lord it's not his best plus my best is what he does
1: taking up the helmet
0: of salvation involves biblically thinking about salvation biblically thinking about the christian life that follows to everything about the Christian life. We need to think biblically instead of like the world. And again, that's why we need to be renewed in our thinking. because The old computer saying, garbage in and garbage out, before we were saved, all this garbage of the world, the thinking of the world, the thinking of the culture has been flooding into our minds. When we get saved, we need to be pouring over the Word of God and God's reprogramming us, so to speak, the way we're supposed to be thinking about things. Well, the third thing I want you to write down tonight, we are to be alert to assurances that we're given. As we put on the helmet of salvation, thinking biblically about conversion, we'll see that God's given us many assurances. And and we'll be able to say like Paul in 2 Timothy 1.12, for I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until until that day. If you've been regenerated, you've been born again, you've been converted, you've been saved, you can rest assured that you are secure in the Lord. We believe in the Security of the believer, the perseverance of of the believer, because we believe in the perseverance of the Savior. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what a horrible place it would be in life, to go through life and never have any assurance. Think, well, I, when I die, I, I hope I'm going to be okay. But again, what's the assurances we're given? I told you I was going to say something over and over again, not by accident. First of all, the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture also gives us assurances and confidence uh, about knowing that we can stand securely before the Lord. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says for whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's been called the golden chain. One thing's tied to another, built built on it. What what we're being told there, God finishes what he starts. Right? He finishes what he starts. He ends with that word glorified. That's the outworking that he brings about in his children's lives. We will stand before him one day glorified, enjoying the consummation of our salvation. Also, when Satan comes along and says if you were really God's child, you wouldn't be experiencing the trial you're going through. You know, here again, the testimony of Scripture on that. James tells us, consider trials an occasion for joy because God is working in and through those trials to bring about maturity and completion in you. Peter says the first same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, that that you'll be purified like gold. And God's using trials to get rid of all the impurities in our walk with him and in our faith so, so that, that we'll be more pure. Trials are not uncommon for the child of God. Trials are not evidence that you don't belong to God. In fact, God uses trials in the lives of his children to build character and perseverance. And so again, the lie of Satan that if you were a child of God, you wouldn't experience any trials, doesn't line up with the testimony of Scripture. What's another evidence? A new life. A new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Has Christ changed you? That's an inevitable, inevitable part of conversion. We're a new creation in Christ. We're not the same person anymore. I mean, we are the same person, but we're not the same person. You get what I'm saying? You know, if I could look back over the course of my Christian life, maybe I should say my, in this case that I'm going to give you, my so-called Christian life. If I could look back over the course of my professed, Christian life, and see no evidence whatsoever, no evidence of a changed life. I should legitimately be very skeptical about my conversion. But if you can honestly look back and see your life is different, you're changed, you're a new creation in Christ, and your desires now are after the things of God. That's a blessed assurance. And with this change of heart is this desire for obedience. John says in 1 John 1, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. It goes on in chapter 2 to say, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Don't you wish John would say what he means? So a changed life involving desires for the things of God, desires for obedience. Do you love the scripture? Do you love prayer? Do you love the things of the Lord? If there's no desire for worship, no desire for serving the Lord, no desire to read God's word, no desire to be a part of God's mission in the world then that person who has no desire ought to question their standing before God if they've really been regenerated or not. But again, if you can see evidence of that in your life, it's a blessed assurance. A blessed assurance. Scripture also talks about a new attitude towards Christians as another evidence That God gives us. Again we can fall back on 1 John here. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. You know not all believers are lovely. (laughs) Not all are likable but all are to be lovable. Somebody wisely wrote one time, to dwell with saints above, all that will be glory. But to dwell below with those we know, now that's a different story. (laughs) (laughs) A new attitude towards Christians, do you love the brethren? That's an evidence that Scripture points us to to look at. And then, of course, there's the witness of the Holy Spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit. And this impacts my response to sin. Does God take you to the woodshed? Does God take you to the woodshed? Hebrews 12 says if you're without discipline, then you're an illegitimate child. Because our earthly fathers disciplined us. How much more will our heavenly father discipline those who are his children? If there's no witness or work of the spirit in your life, why is that? You're an illegitimate child. And so, folks, we ought to look for these assurances. Again, falling back on the testimony of Scripture, looking at our life, evidence of a changed life, walking in obedience, loving the things of God, a new attitude towards Christians, the witness of the Spirit. Those are markers that God gives us in His Word. Those things are a lot better than personal feelings, aren't they? Personal feelings or emotions. You know, everybody needs assurance, don't they? I'm reminded of a story about a young man who ran one time into a service station and before the days of cell phones, he asked if he could borrow the phone and the owner said, sure, there it is. And uh, he picked up the phone and called and the owner of the business could tell he was calling some other business to see if they had any work. Did they need help? And the person on the other end of the line said, no, we, we have a young man and uh, he's doing a great job. Well, this fellow hung up the phone and sort of proudly walked out of the gas station. He's whistling and the owner said, son, I couldn't help but hear that you're... Your telephone call—you were calling them asking for employment. They must have told you no; they didn't need anybody. You hung up the phone. You're happy about it. He said, "Yeah, you see, I'm the new—I'm the young man. I just—I wanted to talk to somebody there who wouldn't recognize my voice and just see what they thought about me." He needed confidence. He needed assurance. Sometimes we just need assurances in life. But when it comes to salvation. God gives us assurance these are to be found in his word. Again, not in the human heart and not out of the culture, but in his word. Never forget what the Bible says about the basis of your salvation. Let God's word be your compass. <clears throat> if you have doubts, why are you doubting? Is it a legitimate doubt or one of the many illegitimate doubts? Or is Satan trying to attack you? Satan may be trying to get you to do everything but stand on God's promises. He might be trying to get you to fall back on feelings. He might be telling you there's no way you could be discouraged if you were really God's child. He may be trying to get you to compare yourselves to others. Why? Again, because a doubting Christian is a defeated Christian. Stand firm. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. We need to think biblically so that we will live biblically. Amen? Any comments, any questions before we go to the Lord in our prayer time? Richard? I think uh, one of the things that attack uh,
2: your assurance is um, uh, if you're not going to a a, a church or anything, and you made a decision. You, uh, you receive Christ, and then later on you make uh, some a bad bad decision. It, it hits on your assurance. So and uh, so the way I look at it is, the more you get under the Word of God, there'll be less uh, <clears throat> less attacks on your assurance. Because then you'll know you won't be making as many dumb mistakes, dumb decisions, Mm. you say You'll be stronger
0: making the right decisions. Mm. Mm. Following the direction of the Lord. Living in communion with Him and obedience to
2: Him. say, if I would have been doing that, I said, I wouldn't have done this. You know, if I would have been going to a church, I would have been stronger on this point and I wouldn't have done
3: this. Pastor Scott, I've read that Roman soldiers, Mm -hmm. their helmet was the pride of their uniform. Mm -hmm. That they painted things on it, scenes, battle scenes. Mm -hmm. They would put big plumes on it and they were proud of that helmet and they walked accordingly mm-hmm. should we not with our salvation that's the best part of us shouldn't we also walk worthy of that that helmet that's on our head? Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that and, others can see Jesus else. sure
0: and again what does that <clears throat> symbolize that helmet of salvation the, the thoughts mm-hmm. again thinking biblically being renewed in our thinking. That should change the way we walk. Okay. Oh. I had a question. Uh-huh. Um, when,
3: because you were talking about God disciplines those that, like disciplines His children for sure. much. Sure. Um,
0: I think there's, there's, first of all, a witness in your spirit that you know what you've done is sin, mm-hmm. and God won't leave you alone about it. Like uh, a conviction that, in your heart? Uh-huh. Certainly. Certainly. God can use different outside means, too, like trials, to bring about discipline in our life, to get us turning back to Him. So there can be that inward conviction or that outward circumstance putting pressure on us to, to bring about reliance on Him and come back to Him independence, dependence. And that would be the purpose of an outward uh, circumstance or trial. Does that make sense? You're looking... Yes. I guess um, I'm just
3: thinking like...
0: You know, like, would could you lose your job? Like, would that be an example of one? Certainly. Or certainly. Okay. Uh, and that's what I mean by outward circumstances that God may change to give you a, to give you a wake up call. Outward circumstances that God might bring about to give you a wake up call. In addition to that inward conviction. You know, I also think about uh, that inward conviction, what King David said in Psalm 32. Between the time of his sin with Bathsheba and in Psalm 51, when he got right with God, what he said in Psalm 32, that his bones had dried up within him. He was the most miserable man on the planet when he was concealing his sin. And it wasn't until he confessed his sin and repented of it, got right with God, that he did experience that joy of his salvation. But in Psalm 32, he talks about how heavy he knew God's hand was on him and how even his bones seemed like they were drying up within him. So that would be the inner witness of the Holy Spirit bearing down on us. And then something like you mentioned could be an outer circumstance that God has brought about. Give us a wake-up call.
1: You said something pastor months ago. I don't know if you remember Stanley, we talked talking about the trials and New York. Mm-hmm. You said we don't we don't pray that we don't have the trials. We just pray mm-hmm. that we can overcome. Because the trials are going to come. The trials are going to come. Overcome.
0: In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Yep. Nobody that I know of gets wakes up in the morning. And in their morning devotion says, God, please send me trials and tribulation today. <laughs> give, give me some of that today. It's going to be there. But, so we, we pray to make it through in a christ honored way.
3: And he said, Marlene, if you go through what you're, well, your head needs when we were going to get married, you need to come to Calvary. Mm-hmm. And I had a terrible time with it. I said, Pastor, I've never felt like I've lost my salvation. Mm-hmm. And after we've been married probably two years, a preacher, I don't know, I don't even know what he preached. But I remember coming home, and when I'm stressed, I might sit and play the piano. And I was sitting at that piano playing. And I said, God, if you don't want me in this home, if it's simple for me to be in this home, you have to take me out. Because I love these kids. I mean, he had three children. I loved before I ever loved him. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, You've got to take me out, Lord. If, if I've got. If I've
0: you, took, long. you took the children, Joe just came with Extra <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> What? Extra But, but yeah. you know, I got a piece yeah. after that. I, it was like God said to me, I just wanted to know if I was first. But I went through, oh, misery. Discipline. My mother and dad didn't even want anything to do with me, you know. Mm-hmm. My whole uh, everything was collapsed except that stem petrol. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but
0: it makes me think about how you can get you sure. shape. Oh, absolutely.
3: Yeah. And that pastor. I felt for him a few years later. His daughter ended up in a divorce, mm-hmm. and I thought, poor guy, he's having to some words.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, Dennis, would you get us started in our prayer time tonight?
1: <coughs> Look at the helmet of salvation. Father, we thank you for the words of the pastor that uh, give us something to think about, give us some assurance. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for that. Lord, we pray tonight for uh, Barbara Zook, who is uh, struggling to get well. Lord, we we know they've been longtime servants of yours, and we just pray that you would uh, heal her and give her some strength back and for Katie. Goodwin, we thank you that she's improving. And mm-hmm. We thank you that Jill and Marlene are going to get to go over there and, uh, and visit, and to be reassured that everything is fine. Lord, we uh, poor Beverly Braley has struggled mm-hmm. in just the last few years that we've known She's had so many trials, and she comes through every time. And Lord, we thank you for that pray that you would bless her and heal her and be with her and her husband. Father uh, for David Cornelius who's uh, Lois's brother we pray for uh, peace We just pray that uh, you would be with him as he is not necessarily improving Lord but we know he needs you. Father for Chuck Mobley have Peggy Nichols and Rose Whitlow Lord are both having surgery. Lord, it's it's scary to have surgery, but it's sure to have you. Thank you for those ladies. Thank you that David Smith is going to be able to have his knee fixed. Lord, we ask for traveling mercies for Joe and Marlene and for pastors, Connie that uh, they would be able to enjoy their time off and to be able to uh, see their grandson. So, Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us, Lord. We shouldn't thank you, but we do, Lord, for trials that come our way. And we know that they make us stronger. We know that as we come out the other side, Lord, we're closer to you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We uh, just praise you for the fact that you never lie. Lord, you wrote it, you said it, and you mean it, and you don't lie. And for that, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the folks here tonight. We love them as our brothers and sisters. And we just praise you for all that you do for us. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name.
0: Father, we know in Scripture Matthew 22 Jesus said that we're to love you with all of our minds. In Romans 12:2 Paul says we're to be renewed in our thinking in 1 Peter 1:13 1, Peter says we're to gird up the loins of our minds so over and over again you're telling us in Scripture, To prepare our minds for action. To dwell in your word. Your Holy Spirit takes your word. And renews our thinking. And that is a process that very much needs to take place. In a believer's life. So that we are thinking biblically. So we can in turn act biblically Lord help us to take up the helmet of salvation to guard our thoughts to feed our minds on what is pleasing to you Lord thank you for the anchor that you've given us in your word it's an anchor and a foundation upon which to stand Everything in the world is just shifting sand, but we have the sure foundation of Your Word. So may we turn to it often and meditate on it day and night. And what I pray that You would use Your Word to change us. And Lord, we do pray for those who are doubting and discouraged that you would make it clear to them as to why. Lord, we know that so many people, some even in church, don't understand salvation. They're still thinking it's the best they can do plus you instead of Christ alone. Lord, help them to see that it is only in and through Christ. Those relying on feelings, help them to see that the heart can't be trusted. But again, your word can be. Lord, we know there's many that we face in the world. They've got all kinds of ideas about salvation. So help us to have a very clear word to them. As we share the gospel with him. And we trust that. While, while we know everyone won't believe. You know that there are those who will. And for their sake. We keep going. We keep speaking. Help us never tire. Of your business. Lord, we pray for these in the church that are trusting us to pray for their physical condition. We pray that you bring about healing, if that's your will. If you've got a lesson for them in their illness, Lord, help them to see clearly what that lesson is. Lord, I pray for those who are facing surgery, that you would give them a great peace, knowing that their life and circumstances are in your hands, and there's no better place to be than that. God, we do pray that you would direct their surgeons' hands and their minds, that as they operate, that, that uh, you would use those doctors as an instrument of your healing. God we know sometimes you heal without the presence of anyone else without a doctor or medicines but Lord most often it seems like you use doctors and medicines they're part of your gift of healing to your body so we pray for those who are treating these folks that you would guide their thoughts give them wisdom to treat uh, these patients and the most effective and efficient way possible. We continue to pray for those in the church who have experienced recent losses. God, I do thank you that in each of these cases they have blessed assurance of the salvation of their loved ones so they know that among Christians it's never goodbye but rather we'll see you later. But continue to comfort them in their loss. And be a shepherd in him. Lord, we pray for uh, Beverly, as she's already been mentioned tonight. <laughs> Beverly and Chuck and, and David, who have been struggling so recently, and their bodies are so weak and tired. Lord, We know that in your perfect timing, you'll call them home. But again, if that time is not now, that you'll strengthen them. Lord, I pray that our eyes and ears would be open to those around us in the flock here who have needs, those in our daily life that you bring across our paths that have needs that we can pray for and minister to, that we'll be alert to that. Lord, we thank you for the Youth Sunday this past week and the young people here that you would continue to bring about a maturity in them as they transition into young adulthood that uh, they will live as dynamic servants of yours, Lord, that they will seek you first in all things. Lord, tonight as various ministries are closing out, We pray that hearts would indeed be directed to you as we leave this place and go to the mission field now. We've come here to to worship, to study, to pray, and that each of us, wherever we are on the campus tonight, we would walk through these doors leaving to go out into the world and serve and to be salt and light. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name.